0: so money episode 661 early retiree chris reining
1: you're listening to so money with award-winning money guru farnoosh tarabi each day get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds authors influencers and from farnoosh herself
0: Doesn't love an early retirement story. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnish Tarabi. You know, we've dedicated lots of episodes on this podcast to those who have hit millions of dollars, retired early. And our guest today is one of them. Chris Reining retired at 37 after making his millions. He worked at his dream job initially in information technology, earning $75,000 a year. Hmm, pretty good not the hundreds of thousands or millions that I would have thought for someone to be able to retire so quickly. He admits he was living a pretty good lifestyle, but felt that the nine to five grind was just too much, been there. And so at 30, he set a goal of having a million dollars in a brokerage account by 35. And he began saving 50% of his income, tens of thousands of dollars a year. And by 35, not only did he reach this goal, he surpassed it. And he credits this to one simple habit, one habit, and that is automation. Here is early retiree, Chris Reining. Chris Reining, welcome to So Money.
1: I'm so happy to be here, Fernouche.
0: This is incredible. I, I love talking to people so young like you. You're 30, 35? 38. I'm so 38. Old okay. Well then, so we're, okay. So I'm actually younger than you. <laughs> For once, I'm younger than one of my guests. Uh, so I love talking to people you're still young, uh, st- you know, and by all intents and purposes, and you are a millionaire, something that you very consciously approached, uh, many years ago, sitting at your desk job, wanting to have a million dollars by 35. That was a goal that you set. Why was that important to you at the time? And why a million dollars?
1: Okay, so that is a lot to unpack. So I'll just start with uh, a little bit of background and you can interrupt at any point. Okay. So, yeah, I'm just uh you know, I grew up a regular guy in a town of about 25,000 in Illinois and you know, my my family didn't have a lot of money growing up. We weren't poor, but we definitely weren't super well off either. And you know, my dad worked a middle-class job, my mom stayed at home raising us three kids. Anyways, I followed a pretty typical life path. You know, I went to high school, I applied to colleges, and when I started college at a small school in Illinois, I was a a finance major, probably not surprisingly. But then, my sophomore year, I met this guy who was like really into computers, and his dorm room was like stuffed with computers and parts and all this. Stuff and he had them running Linux and like I was just really mesmerized because I had never sort of seen that world before and I was just completely fascinated by it. So I ended up switching my major to information systems, which is sort of like this blend between business and technology. And then I graduated and I took a job here in Wisconsin in Madison where I live doing computer security. And I loved it because it was this like constantly evolving. Cat and mouse game between the good guys and the bad guys, right? The hackers. And after uh, a few years, like I was making okay money. So I started buying nice stuff because I never really had nice stuff before. So I bought, you know, a condo downtown in Madison and I always wanted a BMW. So I bought a BMW.
0: You were doing flying lessons. I read in the New York Times, which covered you as a super saver. Yeah, yeah, after the
1: fact. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I was doing flying lessons, and you know, I was like living. I was living the American dream, right? And uh, it was so What's wrong long-
0: with that? What, well, like you know, some might look at that and be like, "Good for you! You're using your money to make yourself happy." But you felt you felt you were doing something wrong, or you were not on the right track.
1: Well, here's the thing, Fernish. It was like I I had that life, right? And it it was great, but then. What happened was I was getting bored in my career, right? Like I I wasn't all that passionate about what I was doing anymore. And I was also becoming really disillusioned with the, you know, the whole rat race, this whole nine to five grind thing, because it was, it was so repetitive. You know, I'd wake up, eat breakfast, walk to my car, drive to work, sit in a cubicle and stare at a screen for eight hours, walk back to my car, drive home, make dinner, maybe watch some TV or whatever. And then do the same thing the next day. And I knew that if I didn't do something, like that was my epiphany moment. Like if I didn't do something, then that was going to be my life for the next 30 or, or 40 years. And I said, I just can't do that to myself. Like I can't do that to my future self. And that's when I, I took a step back and I realized that I like I had a choice that I could work to spend all this money and all this great stuff living the American dream or... I could work to save and save to invest. So one day I could stop working because my investments would be working for me. And I mean, that's really like the, the whole idea of a traditional retirement anyways. It's just I really wanted to accelerate that process. And so that's when I, I really started saving investing. And yeah, by the time I was 35, I was probably at the point where I could walk away and I would be fine. But it took a couple more years um, until I was 37 until I actually quit my job and retired early.
0: So I want to ask about the acceleration process because that's a lot of money to save in a short period of time. And I also want to know why the million dollars was really important to you, what it really affords. But before we get to that, I you kind of got me at you. I kind of had this question as you were talking about, you know, not enjoying your career. Why not find a career you enjoy? you know, is why not like find a, a, like, you know, this is overused, but like find your passion, pursue that, make the money and like have best of both worlds. It sounded like maybe the way you were making money was not fulfilling. Um, was that ever a consideration?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And I was, I was actually just thinking about that the other day and here's, here was my thought process was like, okay, if I, you know, I built this career, right? Like I'd spent 10, 15 years building this career and I was making good money, right? And so, if I walked away from that career to do something else that was more, you know, fulfilling or was more passionate about it, right? like I was going to take a big step back from my earning potential, so there was that option. But then, when I was playing that option out in my mind, where I went was like, okay, if I switch careers and I, I don't know, I become an architect because when I was a little kid, like that was my dream job, was being an architect. And so like, yes, if I, we
0: know a lot about what we want to be when we're little kids. Like yeah. it's actually, we're pretty, we're pretty warm to that, to that real job that we're going to have when we're older, like at least the job that's going to fulfill us. So listen right. to that, listen to that inner child.
1: Right. It's the intuition. I don't think you're, uh, I'm much better about trusting my intuition these days than, than I was in the past. But yeah, good point. Um So yeah, I was like, okay, if I switch my career and I go back to school and I become an architect, like what's not to say that after 5 or 10 years of doing that like I'm not completely bored and like I hate doing that grind too. So in my mind I was like okay I can just um do sort of do what I hate in order to do what I love. So like put up with the short-term pain of you know really getting to a place financially where I don't have to do anything And then like I can do anything I want to or like I could have just stepped out of my current career and gone down another path. And I think that's a perfectly uh, viable option as well. It's just something that I thought a little bit longer term about because I didn't want to get trapped in the same way that I got trapped.
0: Right, yeah, I can see where you know it's a little bit more pain up front, but then the possibilities are endless in within within a short period of time once you've saved so aggressively, you can pretty much explore anything and make mistakes. If you f- explore one thing, it doesn't turn out to be ideal. you can you have you can afford it. You have the runway. I get it. Totally get it. makes sense. All right, so let's talk about how. You did it, and I was uh, reading through the New York Times profile of you back in 2015, titled "Super Savers Focus on the Goal." And you actually opened the piece. Great piece, by the way. How do you get the New York Times to write about you? That's a that's a great get.
1: You have a you have an interesting story, I guess. <laughs> we
0: well, have. Yeah, how do they find you? There's a lot of interesting stories out there. <laughs> no, really, tell me. I want to know. <laughs>
1: Uh yeah, Paul like Paul yeah Paul Sullivan was the the guy who did the story on on me Paul and,
0: Sullivan okay yeah so yeah. he's been on the show
1: yeah um he's great he's a great guy and so yeah we had uh I don't know we just crossed paths um, via email um, at some point and then mm-hmm. he was doing a story and he thought I'd be a great fit for the story and you know oh, that's, wonderful that's how it happened
0: always you know. all right so in this piece it talks about how you were. Uh, we already covered a lot of this, but you know, you were having a lot of self-reflection in your job. You were not happy. You were at the time making about seventy-five thousand a year in information technology, and so yes, you cut back on a lot of things, like we, you got rid of those flying lessons. But at some point, too, you had to make more money in order to reach a million dollars. So, so walk me through the acceleration plan that you created for yourself to reach a million by thirty-five, thirty-six.
1: Well, and I'm this really is a com- million
0: in your brokerage account. This isn't like. Equity in a home, this is like liquid money,
1: right like i never I never counted that stuff like i a lot of people like count yes, like their their car sitting in the driveway and their bicycle and how much their cat's <laughs> worth and all this stuff like like all that stuff like I never really counted as part of my whatever amazing. net worth, right like it was just like money in the bank was was like what I was focused on, so um to answer your question, I think it really the acceleration really comes down to two things right it comes down to saving more and earning more right so if you pull on those two levers like you open up this huge uh potential pot of money that then you can use to invest right so the saving piece i mean that was we covered that a little bit but i think the the biggest point there was like i had no idea where my money was going so the the very first step i took was tracking where my money went and I used, uh, I use a Google spreadsheet for this, but you know, there's online tools like mint.com or whatever that can do this stuff for you automatically, but I liked doing it manually because it made it much more more tangible, right? Like it's much more real when I'm sitting there typing numbers into a spreadsheet because I don't know, these days with all these electronic transfers and, you know, you can swipe your card or swipe your wrist and you're spending money, like you sort of lose that relationship that you're actually spending real money. And so I think this process of like figuring out where my money was going was really eye opening because I could finally calculate that, you know, spending about 90% of my take home pay and once you start seeing like how much you're spending, it becomes much easier to start cutting out things that, uh, that don't make you happy. So for me, over the course of about five years, my savings rate slowly increased year over year from about 10% to, to over 50%. And the other thing I want to point out was that, you know, saving isn't about depriving yourself right so like people think like oh if I save money then you know I'm I have to be eating rice and beans every day for the rest of my life like no like you can spend money um on the things that make you the happiest and so like I personally like I I love to travel so like I don't mind spending lavishly on travel but on the flip side of that like I'll cut out things that I really don't care about
0: well they say that you know, saving up to 10% is, is ideal for the average person, but that's if, that's if you want to retire like never or like by, you know, in your 60s and your 70s. And, and, and one of the things I think is important to highlight is where you were or are living, because I think it's much more difficult to save 50% of your salary when you're living in, say, a coastal state, city like San Francisco or New York City. Uh, where were you at the time? Are you still in the Midwest when you're doing this? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm still in, in Madison, Wisconsin. I've been here for 15 years or so.
0: Mm-hmm. Where were you saving the most? Like, where were you? Because, let's be honest, housing costs a lot of money, um, taxes cost a lot of money. So, if you can uh, sort of manage those two costs, uh, keep them to a minimum, um, you're already halfway there. I think that's a big, big chunk of everyone's budget.
1: Right, so I here's here's sort of my 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 philosophy on that is like when I started slashing my spending, you know, I started out with the small stuff, and this is uh, the latte factor that that David Bach um, has talked about on your podcast. So, like every morning, I used to stop for a, a red eye, which is a coffee with a shot of espresso. It's delicious. If you haven't had one, you should have one. And you know, it didn't cost much. It was like five bucks, right? And that's where some you know, personal finance people will say, you know, you shouldn't worry about spending $5 on a coffee, you should be going after, you know, the big wins like housing, and cars and all that sort of stuff. But I I don't necessarily agree with that approach. And, and I'll tell you why it's because making like a small manageable change improves your ability to change the big things. So I mean, you can think about like a marathon, you don't just go run 26 miles. If you've never run before, you slowly build up to it over a long period of time. And it's no different if you're trying to work on saving more money, you start out with something small, like saving $5 on coffee. And once you're successful with that, then it becomes easier to save $50 by, I don't know, cutting something out like cable or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then you cut out the next big thing and the next big thing. And that's where I see people like run into trouble is thinking... They'll go after the big wins right away, like downsizing their house and selling their car and, you know, never going out to eat ever again. But that's like way too overwhelming. No, you
0: can't go cold turkey on things. You can't just turn off the faucet. Uh, You could on some things that aren't important to you. And I do agree there's like lifestyle cost creep. You know, you just sort of get used to a lifestyle. You get used to the auto payments on things that you forgot you're even auto paying for um, and and listeners i should tell listeners that chris has all of this documented on his blog chrisrining.com and by the way i was going through your blog and i fell upon an, a blog post an article that said something like being a millionaire is not everything it's it's chalked up to be okay. so was it was all this for nothing <laughs> well
1: here's the here's the thing that was really interesting about um, yeah, reaching seven figures, it was like um, I, I I think it was like if you if you win the lottery right and you get this huge windfall at once, like that would be super exciting, right? Because you go from like nothing to like millions in the bank. But for me, it was almost anticlimactic because you know I'd been working towards it for for literally years, right? And when my, you know, when my account like switched over to seven figures, I, I remember I was like laying in bed and I looked at it and I said, cool. And then like I went back to work. And so it was kind of a, you know, that seems crazy, but um it was kind of kind of a letdown. And I think um like the the bigger win was just like realizing way back when that like if I saved and invested, like someday I would reach that that goal. Um, I just had to be persistent about it.
0: When you did reach a million dollars in your bank account in your brokerage accounts, what was that day like? Do you remember that day vividly? Like, was the sun shining? Were the birds chirping? What? what, what, what like, t- take us to that moment and how you felt and what you remembered feeling.
1: I remember that I was I was literally laying in bed and you know like I checked my my brokerage account and yeah there was a there was a, a leading one there and I said cool. And you know, that was just like, it was, it was really anticlimactic. Like it wasn't anything big. Did you, did just you like,
0: celebrate in any way? Did you call your family? Did you write about it? Did you post it on Facebook? What did you do?
1: No, like I, it's always been a little bit weird talking about it. Right. Cause it's, it almost felt like, uh, um, yeah. Yeah. And I actually, I've, I've sort of struggled with that. Like, like actually being open about my finances. Cause it's like airing, airing your, your underwear out there. Right. Like, It's really, it's been really difficult for me to actually open up about that stuff. But on the flip side of that is. You're helping so
0: many people. You're inspiring so many people.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. And I didn't, I didn't realize that. That was a mistake that I made or sort of a mental challenge that I had to work, work through was that, you know, I like sharing my story and actually sharing the juicy financial details. Um, actually helps a lot of people because most people want to see behind the curtain about how this stuff works. Mm-hmm. And so, right, on the one hand, like I was I was really nervous about sharing all this stuff. But on the other hand, I've gotten, you know, hundreds of emails thanking me for being so transparent, and honest, uh, and open about, about my finances because no one is sharing this stuff. Like no one likes to talk about their personal finances. It's just not something that we really do in our culture. It's something that's Always seems to be behind closed doors
0: so now what is the goal now that you have reached the first goal, do you have another financial goal in mind?
1: uh no, I don't have any financial goals in in mind right now right now. I am just enjoying my life um, I'm spending a lot of more time uh, on other areas of my life that uh you know maybe were a little bit neglected in the past Such so as- well, such as like um, now that I have all my time back, which was the the bigger goal here was just getting my time back. Now I, you know, I'm spending more time on uh, exercise. So I, I exercise like three, four times a week. I have a regular yoga practice that I have time for now. Um, I started doing meditation, have a meditation practice and I go on, uh, you know, 10 day meditation, silent meditation retreats. Uh, I take, um, I do more travel. So it's like, I have time to spend in other areas of my life that I feel like when I was working in a nine to five job, I just didn't have time for it. Right. Because there's, you're not just working nine to five. Like there's all this other overhead that goes with working, right. Like commuting to work. Um, you know, you still have to like keep up your house and cook and clean and all this stuff. And it's like, there's a lot more time now that I have that I can, sort of reroute to other areas of my life.
0: Oh, so what do your parents think? Are, you said you were a little like unsure about sharing this. Like, do you, t- when you get together with your family, does it come up? I mean, you have a blog that you're in the New York times. So it's kind of hard to escape what the reality is. So what's the, what's the, com- what are the conversations like?
1: They, uh, I think they're they're really proud of me, right? Because I, I and my friends as well, like I, I had this goal, right? Of leaving the workforce at a young age. And I think it took a certain amount of discipline and persistence to, to get there. And that goes for anybody, right? Like if anybody wants to retire early or just retire at a traditional age, right? Like it takes a certain amount of discipline in order to get there. And so I think that you know, everyone is really, really proud that I you know, was able to, to achieve that goal and sort of live my life in the way that I want to live it, rather than how you know, most of the other people in the world live their lives.
0: Would you say you're um, more disciplined than your peers, that you might be more dispositioned You have predispositions for something like this, um, more so than like the average person. And why do you think that, if so?
1: Why do I think I... That maybe you're more
0: equipped to do something like this. Because the truth is, it does take a lot of discipline, like you said. It does take a lot of stamina and... And I mean, look, most people can't do this. Let's be honest. Most people are not amassing a million dollars by 35 because they made a plan and they, you know, maybe they got it there because they um got an inheritance or they won the lottery, but they're not doing it because they cut back and they made more and they made a plan. And so what do you think that says about your personality and perhaps even how you were raised? You know, what was the, I was just talking to somebody about this and he thinks that it's, his name is Deepak Chopra, and he actually thinks that we're programmed to—it's in our programming to—to to react the way we do with money and about money. Um, what's your programming like?
1: That's an interesting question. So I think that you know you hear from studies right that you're either you're predis- uh, predisposed to either being a, a saver or a spender, right, and. I think that, you know, just growing up, like I was talking about earlier, like we didn't really have a lot of money. And so, you know, like saving, like, like my, my parents were really, um, you know, frugal because they had to be, right? So I think that just seeing that sort of rubbed off on, on me, just living a sort of frugal lifestyle. But then, you know, I think I also had to go through the fact that, you know, I never had nice things before, so that was like a a huge shift for me. was Was buying like a a really nice place to live in, and buying a BMW, and going to Whole Foods every week, and spending two hundred dollars on gourmet food, right? Like I had to live that life to sort of understand that I that like that wasn't me, right? Like that like I didn't like that wasn't important to me, and it didn't make me any happier. And so I think I sort of had to go through that process of sort of growing up frugal and then sort of living this expensive lifestyle and then going back to uh, being uh, much more on the frugal scale. And I think, yeah, discipline is definitely... is. Part of it. I mean, if you want to be successful with anything in life, it really comes down to being disciplined. I mean, you can look across all areas of life and, you know, the most successful people are self-control,
0: are disciplined. discipline. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And, uh, but I think that's a muscle, right? It's like a muscle that you have to exercise. So here's a, a story about that. I recently went gambling with a friend and no you you didn't
0: no you didn't yeah yeah,
1: exactly like i'm not a gambler right like how much did you get involved i'll tell you um he wanted to meet at this casino and i'm like whatever we'll go to this casino and so i took i don't know i had like 40 bucks i had 40 bucks with me and so we're playing a dollar roulette and so after a few rounds i'm up to 60 bucks and then after a few more rounds i'm down to like 50 and we've been playing for i don't know an hour or so and that's when I tell myself, okay, I am going to put 10 bucks on 24 and then I can lose and I'll still walk away with the 40 bucks that I started with. So it's basically a wash, right? Like everyone wants to end up even when they leave the gambling floor. Yeah. So
0: maybe you got a few drinks while you're at it. Yeah.
1: Get some some drinks. Yeah. 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 Have some fun. So I stack up these 10 $1 chips on number 24, and then the dealer spins the wheel, you know, and then the ball bounces around and around and around and it lands on 24. And like everyone at that table is like, hi, wow. me, and the dealer, you know, pushes over $350 in chips. And you walked away, I right? Deal? I walked away. Good. I took them $10 and I walk away. And I'm going to tell you that I found walking away like, like really, really difficult because of the societal pressures, like everyone at the table was telling me that I had to stay, I couldn't go anywhere, but I had this plan and sticking to my plan was more important to me because it's almost like I have to prove to myself that I have self-discipline. And I think that it's this muscle that you need to exercise if you want to be successful with, with anything in life, but especially with money.
0: I think that's a great personification. That story really does like bring to life so many examples of when it's really important to walk away, whether that's and But we don't because we feel pressured to stay in whatever it is we're doing, whether that's working a job that's super high profile, makes us a lot of money, but we're miserable. But, you know, we get a lot of pride in doing it, perhaps, or like a lot of attention. You know, people like admire us for the work that we do, but we're just not happy doing it, but we continue to do it at our own demise. Or like you, you know, being at the roulette table, everyone's so excited for your win. They want to continue the ride. And so you do sometimes because like, that's just what, you know, it's fun. Like you want to, you want to, you want to play into that, but it's, and it is harder to walk away, but, but I think long-term far more rewarding, even though in the short term, it may seem a little bit of a bummer.
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's a great story.
0: I like that story a lot. You didn't say exactly maybe I would love to maybe go back, go down memory lane with you and do talk about what it was like growing up. You sort of said like, you know, you had the stay at home mom, the hardworking dad, very much a traditional arch type family background. Um, What's a very vivid money memory that you had growing up?
1: Okay, so the the story that that stuck was probably uh, when we went to when we went to Disney World, right? So that was like the biggest vacation we ever took. Um, so exciting as a kid. Well, I'm trying and to avoid
0: it at all costs.
1: <laughs> Literally, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we drove all the way to Florida, uh, from from Illinois in our you know Buick station wagon, which was like was so hot. I don't even think it had air conditioning. And to save money, um, my my dad would, like reserve rooms at the or a room at the Days Inn with like two double beds for two people. And then I remember like my sisters and I would have to hide. In the back of the station wagon until my dad got the key from the manager, and then me and my sisters would like sneak into the room so the manager wouldn't see us. And then one of us would, you know, sleep on a sleeping bag on the floor. If you drew that short straw, you'd have to sleep on the floor. So I think that that sort of taught me about trade offs, right? That you can't. But you can't have it all, even though people see, uh, you know, like to say that you can have it all, especially here in the states. Like that's like the American dream. But what I what I took away from that was like we, you know, on one hand, we could we could afford to go to Disney once. I mean, a lot of families aren't even fortunate enough to go to Disney. But um, you know, we were going to be staying. And the days in, and we were going to be staying in like the poshest of hotels, and like eating out at restaurants all the time. Like we were packing lunches and eating them in the park. And um, I think a, a, another good example of that was um, I caught uh, Jerry Jones, the the billionaire owner of the Dallas Cowboys, on. Uh, he was caught on TV in his suite talking on a flip phone during a game. And oh, that actually reminds me. When I I heard you on All Toucher's podcast, and mm-hmm. I love James All Toucher, mm-hmm. you mentioned that uh, John Paul DeJora has a flip phone too, and I was I was wondering why that was.
0: He doesn't even have a computer. Okay, so let's just like maybe that'll explain why he also has a flip phone. He doesn't do email. He doesn't have a computer. Um, I think that is the ultimate luxury to be a billionaire, and I always say it because. This means when you're you're so inaccessible in some ways, um, people can't reach you, but you can reach anyone Mm. because you're so rich and you're so resourceful. Like he doesn't have to like – he'll just make a call to his assistant and he's like, get so-and-so on the phone for me, please. Versus, you know, you and I, like there's no way we'd be able to reach him so easily. So I feel like that is the ultimate power play. It's the ultimate billionaire power play that's the that's what i've deducted from it but i think for him too it's just like he's also very zen like if you walk into his office it's very um very peaceful you know i just think that he doesn't he's also old school he's in his 70s he didn't grow up with much technology and so um he was never an early adopter he's never been really an adopter so it just kind of makes works for him he's found a way to make to work around it
1: yeah, that's really interesting and maybe that that sort of parallels with with Jerry Jones as well because when someone asked him about why, you know, someone asked him in an interview shortly after he was caught talking on a flip phone why he had a a 1.2 billion dollar stadium but was talking on a flip phone and I'll never forget what he said. He said, "It's how you have a stadium worth 1.2 billion if you watch your pennies." And
0: I don't know if that was how <laughs> we got to buy the stadium. <laughs> it's not that much money to buy an iPhone <laughs> when you're a billionaire. Um, you know, it's not going to like d- dig that deep of a hole in your pocket. But,
1: but, right. but, but what he's I think what he's saying right is like it's about trade-offs, right? Like you right. can't have it all. Like you're making every time you're spending money, like you're making a trade-off um, about something that you know you're you're not going to be able to get because of of the fact that you're spending money on something else.
0: Right, makes sense. Chris Reining, thank you so much for stopping by. Let's do some, uh, quickly, before I let you go, some so money fill in the blanks. Listeners have been saying to me, Furnier, sometimes you let guests go without doing this and we really enjoy this sort of, you know, curveball that you throw at them at the end. Um, so what, how this works is I'll start a sentence and then you finish it. First thing that comes to mind. Got it. If I won the lottery, let's say you were at that roulette table and you ended up winning like hundreds of millions of dollars. The first thing I would do is,
1: I would walk away.
0: Walk away. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you or I donate it. I would donate
1: you the would money. Donate so like it. Okay. If I yeah, if I want a hundred million dollars, I, I yeah, I'm in a place where I don't I don't want it, and I would donate it.
0: Nice. When I splurge, like big time, big spender. One thing I splurge on that I'm not feeling bad about that I would do over and over again it's 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 my sustenance I I must do this.
1: Uh, my is. biggest splurge uh, it's travel it's back to travel like I don't mind spending um, lavishly on on travel.
0: Mm-hmm. And I notice in the time space that you while you do travel to exotic places and you make a point to travel you're not staying in like five star hotels.
1: Right. So again, it's about trade-offs, right? Like I'd rather go someplace exotic and, you know, I'm not going to be in uh, uh my hotel room for 12 hours, so I don't really care about like how fancy my hotel room is.
0: Right. An example. Exactly. Who cares? You're out, you're out and about. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is
1: chocolate. I love chocolate, yeah. so. What's I your favorite buy, brand? Uh I like the green and black uh chocolate bar, so I usually just like straight up uh, cocoa, so I'll get like 85% dark chocolate. Mm.
0: Have you ever Love tried it. Mass Brothers? I
1: don't think I've seen that one.
0: It's a very... it's. I, I, they sell them all over in like Brooklyn shops and... um they just have a beautiful package. They have beautiful packaging. I'm a sucker for like really nice packaging, just like with wine, you know? It's like, I don't know what what's going what's to taste like, but I love the label.
1: Yeah. So, I'll check it out. I'll look for it.
0: It's expensive. It's like $9. So, but it's, you know, it's not something you're going to eat right, you know, in one day. Right. For like a week. <laughs> um, one thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is?
1: Is uh, one thing I wish I had known about money growing up is that money is not the answer?
0: Money is not the answer. Let's see what else. What else is here is on the list. Um, oh, when I donate, the one thing I like when I donate, I like to give to blank because
1: when I donate, I like to give to. Um, I give to my my alma mater uh, because education, I think, is is super important. And I was, you know, lucky enough to be able to to go to college. And I want uh, that same opportunity for other people as well who might not be able to financially afford it.
0: Yes. I love that. Tim and I also donate to our alma mater. We share a a college, Penn State. So we're very proud of uh, that. We want to give opportunities to kids who, you know, don't have to. So they don't have to take out hundreds of thousands of dollars in loans to get a degree. Right. That's great. And last but not least, I'm Chris Reining. I'm so money because.
1: Because I'm living the dream.
0: (laughs) You're living the dream. I'm so happy for you. Thanks for sharing your story and being transparent. I really hope that it's not a sore subject ever for you. You should be talking about this with pride and because you do it in such a a way that you really want to help people. I think that's a great gift. So I really appreciate your time. And everyone, check out chrisreining.com for all this and more. You've got so many great so much great content and um, offers for people, so I hope that people will will follow you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Furnish. Thanks so much to Chris for stopping by. His website is Chrisrining.com That's chris c h r i s r e i n i n g.com and he's also on Twitter at chris J. reining. If you missed any of this, want to go back and relearn how Chris got to retire early, go to somoneypodcast.com. There you can download the audio as well as the free transcript. And you can also ask me a question for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh. Just click on Ask Farnoosh. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your day is so money.